This morning we read from Holy Scripture, Psalm 32. Psalm 32. A Psalm of David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. This morning we consider the first two verses of this psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as is frequently the case in the Psalms, the opening verses of this psalm set forth the theme for the entire psalm. The theme is the blessedness of the forgiven person. This theme of this psalm is a variation and indeed further explains the main theme of the entire book of the Psalms, which is given in the first psalm and the opening verses of that psalm, which is the blessedness of the man who walks with God. 
That's the theme of the book of the Psalms. In Psalm 1, it is put in terms of a negative. Blessed is the man who walks not and lives with scorners and the ungodly and the wicked. That is, blessed is the man who walks with God. That theme is repeated throughout the book of the Psalms in various ways and indeed begins even a number of Psalms. For example, in Psalm 41, blessed is the man who considers the poor. Or Psalm 112, verse 1, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Or Psalm 119, verse 1, blessed is the undefiled in the way. You will find that same theme in various ways in the middle of the Psalms. For example, Psalm 2, verse 12, blessed is the man who puts his trust in God. Psalm 65, verse 4, blessed is the man whom God chooses. Blessed is the man who dwells in his house. Psalm 84, verse 4. The first one of those blessednesses, however, the blessedness of a man, is found in this psalm. This is where it first occurs in the first verses. Making clear that the blessedness of the man who walks with God, that is the theme of the entire book, begins and is rooted in his blessedness as a forgiven man. In other words, the idea even is that the man who walks with God cannot walk with God. And the explanation that he walks with God is that, first of all, he is blessed as one forgiven. This theme found in this psalm and this basic explanation of the theme of the book, Blessedness of the Man That Walks with God, then is a very, very fitting text for us to consider in connection with the administration of the Lord's Supper. How so? Because the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is first and foremost a sign and seal of the forgiveness of sins and the very blessedness of the forgiveness that is received through faith. Through faith, eating and drinking, receiving, that is, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It is also in the second place, the Lord's Supper is, a sign and seal of their blessedness. What does that blessedness actually consist of? Is it simply the forgiveness of sins? And the answer is no. The blessedness is that they participate in God Himself. It is that they live in communion with Him. And they dwell with God not only as friends and thus walk with God as friends, but with one another. That's the great sign and seal that we find in the supper this morning. And so we consider this text 
the blessedness of the forgiven. And we notice that under three questions, who, what, and how. The people that are considered blessed in the Holy Scriptures and thus in the Psalms and thus also in this text is not every single human being that has been born. In fact, it's not even every single human being that in the Old Testament was born of the line of Abraham or every single human being that is born in the church. The teaching of the text is that there's only one man, one woman, and one child who is blessed. And that is the forgiven. The forgiven man, the forgiven woman, and the forgiven child is blessed, and no one else. The profound teaching of the text is that such an one is blessed even and in spite of that which should condemn them, that which should undo them, that which should destine them to hell which is that those who are blessed are sinners. The blessed one in the text is not simply one who is forgiven, but one who is forgiven his sin. That is, a sinner. And one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose iniquity is imputed not. That's the emphasis indeed of the text. That the one blessed is a sinner. Notice the three words that are used. First, a sinner. The blessed one is a sinner, which in Scripture means one who misses the mark. The picture is of a target target of what is right that another sets up. The picture is of God setting up a target. And a man takes his bow and his arrow and he shoots at the target. And rather than hitting the bullseye, he completely misses the mark of that target. That's a picture of us as sinners. We are described in the text as also transgressors. Transgressor is one who steps outside of or goes beyond a boundary that another has established. The idea is that of God setting a boundary around an individual. A boundary that sets forth where they may walk the sphere in which they may live and enjoy blessedness, and outside of which they transgress. They do that which is evil. They do that which is wrong and sinful. That's the word there that is used 
for us. And the idea there, as is also implied with the first description of us, is that we do this deliberately. The idea is not that we try even to hit the mark, but we deliberately miss the mark. And knowing full well where the boundaries are, where we ought to walk and where we ought to live, we deliberately, that is, in rebellion, transgress that boundary. The text also, furthermore, describes us as those who commit iniquity. Iniquity, in Scripture, is to distort, to twist, and warp that which is true or that which is real. This word sets forth that sin involves lying and deceit, and does so exactly because all sin is due to the temptation of the devil, who is a liar. When we sin, therefore, when we transgress, it always involves calling that which is good evil, and that which is evil good. Iniquity is to take specifically what God calls good, what God calls right, and what God calls true, and calling it the exact opposite, distorting and warping and twisting that Word of God, and even taking that which God calls evil and wicked and iniquity and calling it right and good and blessed. Think only of the original sin in the garden where the tempter came and lied with regard to God's good commandment. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely not die, but rather you will be blessed as God, knowing good and evil. Also, with regard to the text, is the teaching that this is who we are. It is an essential aspect of our being. Not essential in the sense that it is a part of our nature by creation, but nevertheless, it is a basic and essential part of our nature. The idea is that we are, a, in the original, it actually reads, we are a transgressor, sin-covered, and iniquity people, or man. Just piles them on and says, that is who you are. And that's who you are as children of Adam. That's who you are due to original sin and original guilt. That is who you are by birth. Birth because Adam passed that on to his descendants and so on to you. It is not simply an incidental part of you or an accidental part of you, but it is who and what the blessed man is. And that is one thing that we should have discovered about ourselves.
this week in self-examination. The first part of self-examination is that we consider ourselves, that we consider specifically our sins, which sins include our sinful nature and the curse due to us for them. It is basic to the blessedness of the Lord's Supper. By faith, you should have discovered, as you examined yourself, that is what I am. That is who I am. In spite of the fact that indeed I find myself wanting to live a new and holy life, even though I see within myself the work of the Holy Spirit, I find real, true love for God. Another part of self-examination that we should have found. Nevertheless, my sin and sinfulness pollutes all of that so that I am indeed a sinner, a transgressor, and iniquitous. It is such an one and only such an one who is Blessed. The blessed man and the blessed woman and the blessed child is not one who is in the first place righteous, who looks at themselves and says, I am exactly what God wants me to be. I am perfect and undefiled. But who looks at himself and says, first of all, I am a sinner. Such an one is called blessed because he is the object of God's favor, because he is the object of God's love, because he is the object of God's mercy. Blessed because God, God has looked favorably and God has done something to that individual. In fact, that is actually what makes the sins of such a sinner and the iniquity of such an iniquitous person and the transgression of such a transgressor so great. That when the forgiven sinner, the blessed man of the text, sins, he sins against one who has done him good. He transgresses the law and the commandments of one who has a favorable attitude toward him. He commits iniquity and calls evil that which one has shown mercy toward the one who has shown him mercy. But the idea of the text is that if God looks upon such an one, and does what the text says he does, out of that favorable attitude, then that man will enjoy life. His life will be filled with happiness and joy. And that's really the essential meaning of that word blessed. That the blessed one is happy, supremely happy, with a happiness that nothing on earth 
can give. A happiness that no money can bring. That you yourself cannot achieve by your own working and doing. Blessedness, a happiness, and a joy that transcends every earthly circumstance and every earthly situation and far exceeds all the riches and all the blessedness that this world has to offer. To consider that, simply consider the alternative. Consider even what the psalmist speaks about with regard to himself. One of God's children, one of God's elect, a man who is indeed blessed because God has a favorable attitude toward him, but yet who attempted to cover his own sins, to ignore his sin, to deny that he was a sinner. And he describes in graphic terms the misery and the trouble, the joylessness, the sorrow, the despair of his life. Why, our second point, such an one is blessed, should be clear. Something must be done with regard to the fact that he is a sinner, a transgressor, and commits iniquity against God. God Himself makes clear what He does to sinners, what iniquity deserves, and how transgression against His boundaries deserves. God must do something. So the blessedness, or to be more clear, the blessed thing that God does is He justifies us. That is what's being described here in the text by three other words that correspond to the three words describing our sin. First of all, our transgression is forgiven. Forgiven means to lift or to take away, to remove. It refers to the actual removal of an offense so that the relationship that was destroyed, that was harmed by that sin, sin that divides two, is taken away and thus the offense taken away, and thus the relationship restored by our sin. We have separated ourselves from God. And so God must forgive our sin, must take away, lift away that sin, so the relationship with Him can be restored. Secondly, our sin is covered, another word that refers to our justification. That refers to the hiding of our sin by something else, to place our sin underneath something so that God who sees everything 
does not see it. And so that God who knows everything no longer remembers it. God covers it. And God covers it not simply so we do not see it, and we do not know it, and we do not remember it, but that He Himself no longer remembers and sees our sin. That's what God must do. And that's what God does do with regard to the blessed man. He forgives his transgressions and he covers his sin. And lastly, we repute, read, he imputes not his iniquity. Now, surely you remember from your days in catechism, learning the essentials of the Reformed faith, that justification includes that God imputes something to us. That in justification, what God does is imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. God imputes the obedience of Christ to us as our own. But there's also another side, which is that God imputes not our sin. That the iniquity, the very iniquity of our sin, the iniquity of our transgressions, all our lies about God and His Word and about the truth, God says, you never did it. Imputing refers to how God reckons things, how He considers things to charge against us. When God sees, as it were, the record, the long, long record of all our iniquity, He says, I hold that not to your charge. I impute it to someone else. That is what God does. Not only does God impute the righteousness of Christ to us, but He imputes our sin not to us, but to Christ. And those are the very sins that Christ covers and forgives. You see, for with regard to God to forgive, for God to cover, for God to impute not, Something else must be done. There must be a ground. There must be a basis. There must be some legal explanation for why God can do this. Because God cannot justly forgive and cover and not impute sin all by itself. If that were true, then all sinners would be forgiven. But not all sinners are forgiven. Not all men are blessed. Not all iniquity is imputed to another. The explanation, of course, is Christ. Nothing in the sinner himself. The sinner is not forgiven for his sorrow and repentance. The sin of the sinner is not covered for the sake of his own faith, even by which he believes it. That's the amazing teaching of the Apostle Paul in Romans 4, where he even quotes 
this text. If you read that in Romans 4, you will discover that the Apostle Paul quotes this text to show that a man is justified by faith indeed, but the ground, the reason, the explanation for that is in God Himself. Not of works, not by works, not because of works, not even the works of faith, not even faith itself, not even the repentance and sorrow of the sinner comes into play here. God forgives. God forgives the transgression, covers the sin, and imputes not the iniquity for His sake and for what He has done and what He has accomplished in His Son, Jesus Christ. The ground, even like the act of God itself, must be found in God for a man to be blessed. In other words, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the sole ground and basis and explanation for this blessed act of God. This, of course, is what we see. This is what we see as a sign and a seal of the Lord's Supper this morning. Now, how exactly the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and whose iniquity is not imputed, how exactly that blessedness is experienced is also set forth in the text. The question, of course, is how exactly do I experience that blessedness? Blessedness is something enjoyed, something lived, something known within the soul of an individual. It is felt. It is known through experience. The question is how. The Apostle gets at that when he adds, in whose spirit there is no guile. Now guile here is not used in the sense that we often use it, where we speak about one who is hiding something. Someone who in his spirit is a hypocrite, who pretends to be what he is not. One who presents himself as righteous, one who presents himself as a true believer, a member of Christ, when in fact knows full well he is not. And so he covers that, he hides that, and so in his spirit is all sorts of guile all sorts of reasons and ways in which he covers and hides who he really is. That's how we often use the word guile. But that's not the meaning here. You may see that word as the word guilt, in whose spirit is found and in which there is no guilt. That is, an individual in which there is no shame anymore. No guilt anymore, exactly because of what Christ has done. Exactly because He knows, He believes in His Spirit, God has forgiven 
God has taken away. God has covered. Spirit refers to the soul, the heart and the will and the mind of the soul. Of this man, this same man that is a sinner, that is a transgressor, that is filled with iniquity. And where there ought to be guilt, exactly because of that, there is no guilt. And there is no guilt now, not because of what that man has done. The man does not feel guilty because, because of anything in him. For when he looks at himself, he sees sin. But rather there is no guilt because God has taken away that guilt. That is, the blessedness of the man whose sin is forgiven is peace. That's how the Apostle puts it. The same Apostle Paul in the book of Romans Chapter 5, right after speaking of the blessedness of the man forgiven, sets forth this truth, that therefore, being justified by God, we have peace. This is, first of all, a peace in the soul. A peace in the soul with regard especially to God. That one in their soul is not any longer disturbed, no longer at war, no longer in rebellion against God, but knows God is gracious and kind and good to him, is at peace with regard to even attempting to pay for their own sin, to cover their own iniquity, That's why it may be said also that exactly because there is no guilt, there is also no guile either. It is exactly because God has removed the guilt, He removes the guile. That is the attempt to cover our own sin and our own iniquity. That's peace. And this peace with God is what enables man to live with God at peace, to spend his life not running from God and hiding from God and covering his own sin from God, but a life of peace walking with God, talking with God. And also, as we will see in the sign and seal of the Lord's Supper, peace with our neighbor. Peace especially with our neighbor in the church. Peace with the one who with us has their sins covered, their transgressions forgiven, who with us participate by faith in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, as is the sign and seal of the sacrament. That's the blessedness, beloved, of this psalm. It's the blessedness of one forgiven. Blessedness such that one walks and lives in peace with God and his neighbor as one. And this, 
is the blessedness of the Lord's Supper this morning. Amen. Let's turn now to the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper. On page 91. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, attend to the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Holy Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 29 For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That we may now celebrate the supper of the Lord to our comfort. It is above all things necessary, first, rightly, to examine ourselves, secondly, to direct it to that end for which Christ hath ordained and instituted the same, namely, to his remembrance. The true examination of ourselves consists of these three parts. First, that everyone consider by himself his sins and the curse due to him for them to the end that he may abhor and humble himself before God, considering that the wrath of God against sin is so great that rather than it should go unpunished, he hath punished the same in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. Secondly, that everyone examine his own heart, whether he doth believe this faithful promise of God, that all his sins are forgiven him, only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed and freely given him as his own, yea, so perfectly as if he had satisfied in his own person for all his sins and fulfilled all righteousness. Thirdly, that everyone examine his own conscience, whether he purposeth henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in his whole life and to walk uprightly before him, as also whether he hath laid aside unfeignedly all enmity, hatred, and envy, and doth firmly resolve henceforth to walk in true love and peace with his neighbor. All those, then, who are thus disposed, God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of the table of his Son, Jesus Christ. On the contrary, those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment to themselves. Therefore we also, according to the command of Christ and the Apostle Paul, admonish all those who are defiled with the following sins to keep themselves from the table of the Lord, and declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ, such as all idolaters, all those who invoke deceased saints, angels, or other creatures, all those who worship images, all enchanters, diviners, charmers, and those who confide in such enchantments, all despisers of God and of his word and of the holy sacraments, all blasphemers, all those who are given to raise discord, sex, and mutiny in church or state, all perjured persons, all those who are disobedient to their parents and superiors, all murderers, 
contentious persons, and those who live in hatred and envy against their neighbors, all adulterers, whoremongers, drunkards, thieves, usurers, robbers, gamesters, covetous, and all who lead offensive lives. All these, while they continue in such sins, shall abstain from this meat, which Christ hath ordained only for the faithful, lest their judgment and condemnation be made the heavier. But this is not designed, dearly beloved brethren and sisters in the Lord, to deject the contrite hearts of the faithful, as if none might come to the supper of the Lord but those who are without sin. For we do not come to this supper to testify thereby that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. But on the contrary, considering that we seek our life out of ourselves in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we lie in the midst of death, Therefore, notwithstanding we feel many infirmities and miseries in ourselves, as namely that we have not perfect faith, and that we do not give ourselves to serve God with that zeal as we are bound, but have daily to strive with the weakness of our faith and the evil lusts of our flesh, yet, since we are by the grace of the Holy Spirit, sorry for these weaknesses, and earnestly desire us to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God, therefore we rest assured that no sin or infirmity which still remaineth against our will in us can hinder us from being received of God in mercy and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly meat and drink. Let us now also consider to what end the Lord hath instituted his supper, namely that we do it in remembrance of him. Now, after this manner are we to remember him by it first. That we are confidently persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent of the Father into the world, that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he bore for us the wrath of God under which we should have perished everlastingly from the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life upon earth, and that he hath fulfilled for us all obedience to the divine law and righteousness especially when the weight of our sins and the wrath of God pressed out of him the bloody sweat in the garden, where he was bound that we might be freed from our sins, that he afterwards suffered innumerable reproaches that we might never be confounded, that he was innocently condemned to death, that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God, yea, that he suffered his blessed body to be nailed on the cross, that he might fix thereon the handwriting of our sins, and hath also taken upon himself the curse due to us, that he might fill us with his blessings, and hath humbled himself unto the deepest reproach and pains of hell, both in body and soul, on the tree of the cross, when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken of him, and finally confirmed with his death and shedding of his blood the new and eternal testament, that covenant of grace and reconciliation when he said, It is finished. Secondly, and that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ in his last supper took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. In like manner also after supper he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Drink ye all of it, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. That is, 
As often as ye eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you shall thereby, as by a sure remembrance and pledge, be admonished and assured of this my hearty love and faithfulness towards you, that, whereas you should otherwise have suffered eternal death, I have given my body to the death of the cross and shed my blood for you, and to certainly feed and nourish your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life, as this bread is broken before your eyes and this cup is given to you, and you eat and drink the same with your mouth in remembrance of me. From this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith and trust to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross, as to the only ground and foundation of our salvation, wherein he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true meat and drink of life eternal. For by his death he hath taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, namely sin, and obtained for us the quickening spirit, that we by the same, who dwelleth in Christ as in the head, and in us as his members, might have true communion with him, and be made partakers of all his blessings of life eternal, righteousness, and glory. Besides, that we by this same Spirit may also be united as members of one body in true brotherly love, as the holy apostle saith, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread, for as out of many grains one meal is ground, and one bread baked, and out of many berries being pressed together, one wine floweth and mixeth itself together, so shall we all who by a true faith are engrafted into Christ be altogether one body, through brotherly love, for Christ's sake, our beloved Savior, who has so exceedingly loved us, not only show this in word, but also in very deed towards one another. Here to assist us, the Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit. Amen. That we may obtain all this, let us humble ourselves before God, and with true faith implore his grace. O most merciful God and Father, we beseech thee that thou wilt be pleased in this supper, in which we celebrate this glorious remembrance of the bitter death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that we may daily more and more with true confidence give ourselves up unto thy Son, Jesus Christ, that our afflicted and contrite hearts through the power of the Holy Ghost may be fed and comforted with his true body and blood, yea, with him, true God and man, that only heavenly bread, and that we may no longer live in our sins, but he in us and we in him, and thus truly be made partakers of the new and everlasting covenant of grace. That we may not doubt, but thou wilt forever be our gracious Father, never more imputing our sins unto us, and providing us with all things necessary as well for the body as the soul, as thy beloved children and heirs. Grant us also thy grace, that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all tribulations with uplifted heads expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven where he will make our mortal bodies like unto his most glorious body and take us unto him in eternity. Strengthen us also by this holy supper in the Catholic undoubted Christian faith whereof we make confession with our mouths and hearts saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That we may now be fed with the true heavenly bread, Christ Jesus, let us not cleave with our hearts unto the external bread and wine, but lift them up on high in heaven where Christ Jesus is our advocate at the right hand of his heavenly Father, whither all the articles of our faith lead us, not doubting, but we shall certainly be fed and refreshed in our souls through the working of the Holy Ghost with his body and blood as we receive the holy bread and wine in remembrance of him. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat, and do so in remembrance of him.
Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. For he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation, for he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. Drink ye all of it, and do so in remembrance of him. Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord hath now fed our souls at this table, let us therefore jointly praise his holy name with thanksgiving, and everyone say in his heart thus, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Who hath not spared his own son, but delivered him up for us all, and given us all things with him. Therefore God commendeth therewith his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified in his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Therefore shall my mouth and heart show forth the praise of the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Amen. Now let us pray. O Almighty, merciful God and Father, we render Thee most humble and hearty thanks that Thou hast of Thine infinite mercy given us Thine only begotten Son for a mediator and a sacrifice for our sins, and to be our meat and drink unto life eternal, and that Thou givest us lively faith, whereby we are made partakers of such great benefits. Thou hast also been pleased that Thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, should institute and ordain His Holy Supper for the confirmation of the same. Grant, we beseech Thee, O faithful God and Father, that through the operation of Thy Holy Spirit, the commemoration of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ may tend to the daily increase of our faith and saving fellowship with Him, through Jesus Christ, Thy Son, in whose name we conclude our prayer, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.